In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. You know, there's an old proverb that goes like this. He who tooteth not his own horn may never hear his own horn tooted. And so I'm going to take just a minute to toot our own horn. The success of this podcast is due primarily to our sponsor, Anderson Hauser. Anderson Hauser is a global leader in measurement instrumentation services and solutions for industrial process engineering. They provide process solutions for flow measurement, level, pressure, temperature analytics, and much more, optimizing processes and efficiency, safety, and environmental impact. They serve many industries across the globe, including a specific focus in oil and gas, Anderson Hauser, the people for process automation. And then the second reason for our success is due in part to the quality of guests that we have on the show. And today's an example of what I'm talking about. I'm very pleased to introduce on the show today, Mr. Jim Crompton. Jim, thanks for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the conversation. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking at your bio here. And one of the things that jumps out at me is, first of all, you are a distinguished lecturer for the Society of Petroleum Engineers. And if anybody knows about SPE or for those who are members of SPE and who attend SPE meetings and that sort of thing, if you can go to an SPE meeting where there is a distinguished lecturer, and I actually was on an SBE committee in Houston for a while. It was always a feather in our cap if we could get a distinguished lecturer to come to our luncheon at the Petroleum Club. And then you were also with Chevron for 37 years. I think you retired in 2013. Is that right? That's correct. It's amazing. It's been almost 10 years ago, but that's when I, after the long career. I was lucky enough to have a whole bunch of jobs, but one employer. So that was nice. But that's when we moved from Houston up here to Colorado. Okay. You did my segue for me here. Because the other thing, besides being a distinguished lecturer for SPE, which is impressive enough, you teach undergrad and graduate level petroleum data analytics at the Colorado School of Mines. Is that what you're doing now? Yeah, it's kind of a strange step on my journey here. But after I retired once, I you know, came up here to Colorado. I am a School of Mines alumni, but I attended an SBE student meeting on campus and department head at Petroleum Engineering came and recruited me to develop and to teach this capstone course on their undergraduate data analytics minor in Petroleum Engineering. So started out that way and it's kind of grown to kind of a second track, which is an online only graduate certificate program for it's kind of master's level or even industry experience sort of people. So I've been working on that kind of dual track for about four years now. Okay. So for those listening right now, and you mentioned this master's level online course, it's specifically in what subject and how do you apply for it? Well, mine's a couple of years ago launched a number of these graduate online certificate programs. I mean, so it's not a degree, but it only takes four courses and each of them are eight weeks. So you can finish in two semesters. And the one that I'm teaching a couple of classes on is, again, focused on petroleum data analytics, or we can call it the digital oil field or 
how we use all of the data that is collected in the field in some of the more modern, advanced analytical model building sort of techniques. So you can apply through the registrar at the school, at School of Mines. And I have had, you know, already students from that, you know, never went to campus. They were in Houston or they were in Calgary or they were in Kuwait City, one of them, for the last semester. And essentially it's four courses. Two of them I teach. The basic ones are kind of data science and statistics. But it helps you kind of, if you didn't get any of this stuff in school and you see it going all around you in your job and you want to try to reskill or catch up or whatever the term is, this is at least an option for some people that can still, you know, earn a paycheck and have a family and um, not say you wouldn't be busy for two semesters, but you can begin to try to do more than just the YouTube videos and the Coursera courses on particular analytical topics, because it is applied to the industries, petroleum data analytics. Well, you've actually brought up something that I was talking to some folks the other day. And of course, this guy had been in the industry for 30, 40 years or whatever, you know. I have 50. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, he was talking about, you know, okay, so I graduated with a petroleum engineering degree from Texas A&M, you know, and so that's supposed to make me special. And he said, maybe 40 years ago it did, but he said, it really is irrelevant. A lot of my degree is actually irrelevant because so much has changed in the last 40 years and especially this digital transformation. And so this kind of stuff is really critical for people who want to stay on top of what's happening in our industry. Well, yeah, it really is. So much of this change has happened in the last 10 years. Right, right. I give a little joke. I said, you know, 10 years ago that petroleum engineer from A&M, you know, Python was a snake, R was a letter, Amazon was a river, and now (laughs) we are critical technologies in the oil business. That's great. Now, on top of that, you've put together some sort of consortium, instructors, subject matter experts, industry professionals, and it's called Top Energy Training. Is that different from this online course you're talking about? Yes, that's kind of a different track altogether, but I was able to meet up with at least one segment of Top Energy. It's called Top Corp. That part of Top Energy is focused a lot on state oil, uh, in the United States, state oil and gas regulators, field inspectors, you know, office permit agents and things like that. So this Top Corp, where I kind of got connected here, is really sponsored by three universities, School of Mines, University of Texas at Austin, and Penn State. Sorry, NM, you're not part of the, <laughs> that group. But those three universities, as well as, you know, kind of this top energy organization, have developed an online program. It's, it takes about a year, I guess, to get the certification. Different from my analytics one, but it really tries to help those involved in regulation of the industry understand a little bit more about it. And they have a campus visit to each of those three schools during their year. So I first got involved in lecturing to this group about emerging technologies. And then they have an online program and I've helped work. I helped kind of revise the environmental stewardship you know, a course module that they have. And then I've built and developed a new one on, again, the digital oil field kind of thing for them. So it's been great to, I mean, it's a different group of folks, audience that you're talking to very experienced people, people that really know what's going on in the field. And it's fun to interact with them. And I can talk about the future and they can talk about what they're doing right now when they get a phone call from an abandoned well, all of a sudden is 
spewing a bunch of salt water and they have to go deal with it. So it's a great audience. It's a very practical, interested audience. It's a little bit different than your petroleum engineer, but it's another very important part of our industry that Top Energy and specifically this Top Corp, you know, reaches out to to keep us all, you know, kind of on the same page and up to speed with all that's changing. Well, one of the things that I noticed about it that caught my attention, you said this Top Energy training, it's a great learning resource if you're an inspector or a regulator, or a policymaker, or a current oil and gas professional. But then you also list university and high school students who are interested in expanding their knowledge in petroleum science, engineering, and technology. And talk to me about that because, well, actually, I'm chairman of the Houston chapter of API. And one of the things that we support is Houston Independent School Districts. They have a high school for engineering. And in fact, one of the people who's currently on the board of the Houston chapter went to that high school. And then from there, she went to Colorado School of Mines. And now she's back in Houston and she's on our board. But we actually had the COO of API National at our meeting yesterday. And one of the topics that we got onto was how we've got to start educating students before they get to college, we've got to start educating them about our industry and especially to offset all of the negative stuff that they hear all the time. So do you have a lot of high school students involved in this? Well, there's not a lot. I mean, I wish there was more. And I agree with the point you're making that it's never too soon to start telling the industry story because, I mean, there's a lot of voices out there that are telling a story that we are dirty, dangerous, and distant, right? And from where you want to be, or and it's low tech when it's really the message I'm talking about is very high tech with regard to that. So certainly the SBE has a huge outreach program into high schools, maybe junior and senior physics students kind of things with regard to that. I've personally been involved with some you know, projects and work with a local community college near the west side of Denver, Red Rocks Community College. And so involved with some of, you know, at that level, at early level, to try to talk about all the things that are happening. Clearly, a lot of these field inspectors and regulators, they probably didn't go to college. Their background is high school and then a lot of field sort of experience. So I think you can't start early enough. You have to start telling the message of the industry, not to be defensive or attack back or anything like that, but just tell what's really going on. Yeah, the truth, the truth. That would be good, you know? There's so much of the other stuff. Exactly. In one of my lectures, in my courses, I talk about how to tell a good story with data. And then my follow-up lecture is how to lie with data. So, I mean, you can do both. And everybody needs to be aware of what story being presented to them and make up their own minds from an educated sort of perspective. So we do have some actually high school students that come to a petroleum engineering 101 to try to attract them to mine. So there's been a few that we've touched that way. Those are kind of students that are already kind of motivated. But to reach out, you can't just stop with, well, I'll teach them when they get to be seniors. That's too late. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, you talk about data and statistics. You know, of course, everybody's reminded of the old famous line that sometimes is attributed to Mark Twain. You know, there's lies, damn lies, and then there's statistics, you know, so. Yep. I can show you how to lie really well with statistics, (laughs) but that's not the point. The point is to tell the right story with all of the data that we are collecting and use some of the, these amazing new 
sometimes called artificial intelligence, machine learning, data-driven simulation models. There's a whole suite of tools that are now available to petroleum engineers that weren't there 10 years ago. They had the physics-based simulations. They had basic statistics, you know, decline curve analysis sort of tools. But now there is so many different ways to work with the data. Absolutely. In fact, you co-authored a book entitled The Future Belongs to the Digital Engineer. You co-authored that with a Dr. Dutch Holland. Tell us about that. That's actually the first of my, I have four books now, but that was the first one. And and Dr. Holland, who is a legend in the Houston area, unfortunately he passed several years ago, but he approached me just as I was getting ready to retire from Chevron. He's kind of in management consulting, change management, in many different fields. And he came up to me and said, I'm kind of the color commentator. And if you're talking about a sports broadcasting analogy, but he did the play-by-play and I did the color commentary on what was happening in the digital oil field. So this was 2013, 2014 that we wrote the book. It was a great experience to me. I'd never written anything like that before. And it was, I mean, a great way for me to put you know, my thoughts and some of my summary of what's all going on into words. None of them are bestsellers, but I think they're kind of fun niche books that talk about subjects like data management, talk about the third book was actually one I called The Digital Canterbury Tales, where I took the old 14th century story of sure. a bunch of yeah, pilgrims right, traveling right. to Canterbury, and I took about 25 or six jobs within a oil company, mythical oil company, and I talked about how they look at the change being brought on by this new technology. And, you know, some of them really like it. Some of them are a bit skeptical. Some of them think it's going to take their jobs. But so it isn't just one reaction. It isn't just everybody loves new technology. Let me try it. There's different views. You have to walk a mile in their moccasins and understand. And that's why, you you know, this top corp thing of walking a mile in the footsteps of a field inspector, maybe they're just starting to get used to seeing drones for visual inspection to help them look at the wells that they need to check on. And things like new technology is hitting us all, maybe not the same kind, but or at the same pace, but it's kind of hitting us all. Yeah. In fact, I did a podcast not long ago and we have several guests on from time to time talking about digital transformation and AI and all that sort of thing. This is talking about the negative image of, you know, we're, we're all for dirty air, dirty water and, and all that sort of thing. Well, we're not. And actually all of this new technology, all this digital transformation and artificial intelligence, it's actually helping us do better jobs of protecting people's health, safety, and protecting and cleaning up the environment, preventing messes. No, without a doubt. I mean, the book I've just finished and my daughter is editing my bad English and is called Michelle Meets Gaia. And Michelle is a character from the Digital Canterbury Tales. She's the COO of this mythical oil company. And Gaia, of course, is the Greek goddess of the earth spirit. So that represents that environmental sustainability kind of issue. And it deals directly with a whole bunch of different topics about oil industry and this new what's not new, but increasingly emphasis on the environmental footprint of the industry and what the industry can do. New technology, better data being captured are certainly one of them. But also, you know, some of the real challenges that 
of change, of economics, of technology adoption, of you know some of the pressure that sits on finance and marketing and permitting on the industry. So that book deals directly with this challenge that the industry now has. I mean, safety has been an issue for a long time. Everybody goes home safe. I lived in that culture and that was a great change for just go out there and try to be safe and whatever. And to really building it into the culture as Chevron did and most oil companies have done. And now that's another challenge. I mean, the safety ones, you can't let your guard down. That's still critical. But now you have to worry about water and air emissions and figure out how to, you know, clean up our act. Well, and I think, as I said, I think some of this new technology is helping us with that. I mentioned the API meeting I was at yesterday with Amanda Eversaw, who's the chief operating officer at API National. One of the subjects that came up was methane emissions. That's actually an area of expertise. Well, you have several areas of expertise. By the way, you have a website for all these books? I have a LinkedIn profile. I tried a website when I got started after I retired, Uh and I didn't do the cybersecurity well enough, and I got bombed Uh by all these Uh nasty people who just kind of polluted the website, so I gave that up. Oh, okay. So now I operate on LinkedIn. Okay. There is a LinkedIn profile that you can find this stuff. Okay. We'll post that in the show notes. We'll also post topenergytraining.com, I believe, is where you sign up for any of these top energy training programs. And then we'll put a link maybe to Colorado School of Mines in there for their online courses. I bet I could come up with a half a dozen different podcast subjects to have you talk about. We may have to have you on again. But in this particular show, let's talk about methane emissions. Let's talk about how you go about measuring methane emissions. And then let's talk about, you mentioned something that I think you mentioned abandoned wells a while ago and problems with those. Let's talk about that. Sure. This isn't really a topic that I was very involved with when I was with Chevron. And it was at Colorado School of Mines through a organization called the Payne Institute for Public Policy, which is, you know, an institute within the school's kind of system led by a world-class energy economist by the name of Dr. Morgan Bazillion. But I just got called one day by that institute and said that they were talking to a new startup company that was kind of air quality control, but they wanted to focus on oil and gas industry, on methane emissions. And they were trying to help the operator essentially find and fix those emission leaks. And they presented kind of a new way of measuring. So it kind of hit several of my wheelhouses because it was new data coming in. And from these sensors that are put on poles that kind of, maybe there's three or four of them that kind of surround an oil and gas production platform of onshore facility, say in DJ Basin in Colorado, or I mean, they're expanding the Permian and the Mocken and Haynesville and a bunch of them. But it presented the operator with some new data. You know, it was essentially 7 by 24. So that continuous monitoring was an important part of it. But it's a lot of data. And so how do you find out, you know, how to alarm on an event? We're used to SCADA information. And we know we measure pressure and temperatures all over the place from our field instrumentation and automation systems. And I was familiar with that. But now when you talk about adding to it, methane sensors, volatile organic compound sensors, particulate matter sensors, 
And of course, the weather is really important. So you need a, a little local weather station to tell you the wind direction and speed and, and humidity and take all of that data and add it to the poor operators or maintenance crew to try to figure out how to go chase down a leak faster. And before you call the Eldar crew in with your you know, thermal camera, the FLIR camera that people use, and to react faster and maybe react in a way that maybe you can cut down the cost. So we worked this company called Project Canary, and there's a number of them. I'm not trying to promote just that one, but that's the one that began working with the school. And we formed this, what's called responsible gas or the continuous monitoring for methane emissions sort of program. The Project Canary, with the support of several of their operators, oil and gas operators, donated a copy of the data to the school. I kind of became the oil field whisperer to the statistics department who was doing most of the data crunching. So I was trying to explain to them, you know, where emissions come from. I mean, is what's a wellhead? What's an artificial lift unit? What's a separator? What's a vapor recovery unit? What's a thief hatch on a crude oil tank? And just essentially to teach them oil field length. So with that, we could put together a model and we kind of were looking at, first of all, helping to improve how we identify events, event being an emissions. Now, this isn't so much the flares and the venting, that not a lot of that happens in the DJ Basin near Denver, but it's the fugitive emissions. It's the leaks. It's the emissions from diesel engines. It's the thief hatch on the crude oil tank when there's a pressure release due to you know, the oil and gas reaching bubble point. It's the pneumatic valves. I believe pneumatic valves that are used in the facilities. Essentially, to try to find those top 10 bad actors and try to focus on them. I mean, there's a lot of little tiny leaks that go on with equipment in the field that, yeah, you can measure them, but you can't do much about them. And you usually, under your permit, that's not the big problem. The big problem is this tail end of what is now being called super emitters. If you can find and deal somehow with those, or you can give the operator a history of the emissions footprint of their facility. So maybe the next facility they build is uses grid electricity instead of diesel power. Maybe it doesn't use the pneumatic valves. It does something different. Maybe it goes tankless and it takes on the cost of building a pipeline to a central facility that could be better monitored. Not only things you do today, but things you can do in your next facility design from a you know supporting the operator perspective not really trying to catch them doing something wrong, but trying to help them to keep doing stuff right. And then, you know, we could work in concert with those state and federal, you know, field inspectors who are saying, I mean, they'd love to see bad things not happen, right? Sure. We'd all like to exactly. see bad things not happen. And if we can do it with data, and this, it's interesting, this new kind of data really leads us to time series analytics, to geospatial analytics, and even to a concept that we're just getting started with that we call the digital canopy. And that is that there's now different layers or ways to measure these emissions. The continuous monitoring on the ground is one. Of course, the thermal camera is the most specific and detailed to go right to the valve that's leaking. But then you now can put these sensors in drones and fly surveys. You can put these sensors on aircrafts and oil and gas operators in the Permian do this a lot and they, they fly surveys over that to try to identify. And the third piece is one that the industry is using, but so are the NGOs, which is the satellite data. 
And the satellite data is getting higher resolution, more accurate, more essentially trips over your oil field facility. So it's going from a basis scale down to a facility scale. And all of these have pros and cons. They all have advantages and challenges. But if you could add them all together, you'd have a more holistic view of the whole facility 365 days a year. And you can focus on the worst things and you can shut them down and that can have a pretty important impact on the emissions of the facility, which might be, you know, staying in contact with your permit, maybe in places where there's a carbon tax, you can get, don't have to pay as much tax. I mean, there's an economic incentives as well as there are, I mean, every molecule of methane that you don't leak, you can put in the pipeline and sell. So there's that kind of an advantage. Nobody wants to do that. There's startup companies coming now that will take the methane that it can be recovered, turn it into local power. We've had some people do that. We've got small companies coming up with incinerators or chemical ways of maybe capturing the carbon that formerly escaped and turn it into something useful or valuable. So lots of measurement. And this is kind of into a term back to the SPE that I'm involved in a study group called Measure What Matters. And it's a combination of the data science engineering analysis technical section and the sustainability, what they call Gaia section within the SPE. And we're we're now trying to put together some, we've got a one article in JPT last year. We're got, getting ready to submit another one. There's online webinars called Gaia Live, but to try to improve, again, this education is all kind of back to education and awareness of the stuff that's available. And it isn't all what's going to happen in the future. I mean, that's fun to talk about and I can give a lecture on that, but it's really what's available now and what you can do now and what practical steps you don't have to wait for, you know, something else that you can take steps to lower your emissions Industries calling this methane intensity as a metric. And all of those things can, we can really do something about it now. Yeah, the future is now. My favorite science fiction author is a Canadian by the name of William Gibson. And he said, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. <laughs> That's the way I like to see all of this stuff. That's a great quote. Well, Jim, man, like I said, we're going to have to, in fact, I think we'll at least have a part two of this particular podcast. And then, as I said, we could have several parts. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And we are going to do a second segment where I think we're going to talk about particularly abandoned wells. And as already we've said, we're going to include your LinkedIn contact information and website and all that in the show notes. So anyone listening can contact you directly for more details. I want to thank everyone for listening and again, remind you this podcast would not be possible if it were not for our sponsor, Anderson Hauser. Please tell them thank you for sponsoring the show by going to our OGGN Anderson Hauser website, which you can find a link to in the show notes and register for our monthly giveaway there. Also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter and that contact info you can find in the show notes. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Remember, Anderson Hauser is your reliable U.S. and international based partner for measurement, instrumentation, services, and solutions. We are your people for process automation. We'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. 
Learn more at OGGN.com.